You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor. If you're new here, glad that you're here. And the rest of you, it's great to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up in Psalms chapter 19. Today's message is titled, How God Reveals Himself. Uh, and so before we get started on that, uh, I want to tell you, um, I really want to thank all of you that served yesterday uh, on the campus to help clean it up. Big monsoon storm hit on Monday, and man, did that not rock uh, the North Valley. And so really, by God's providence, it was really cool that we had already previously planned a family serve day. And honestly, if, if we didn't have 25 to 30 adults and families on campus, this place would have looked like a war zone. Or Pastor Ryan and Pastor Craig would have been exhausting themselves all week long trying to clean up the campus. And so I want to thank all of you for doing that, uh, helping serve and preserve our campus, pick it up, clean it up. Uh, here's a little highlight video. Check it out real quick. You know, one of the highlights yesterday was uh, for me is my son, he's 13 years old, and I, I taught him how to drive uh, the church truck on the campus before we ever had people meeting here and doing all that stuff. And that's the way I grew up. My dad taught me how to drive when I was about 10, 12 years old on the back roads. And so uh, we were out driving around, or I told Sam, I said, Sam, get in the truck and driving around the campus, do this and that. And some guy comes up to him that's uh, part of the, the church here and goes, hey, son, you're 13 years old. Do you have your driver's license? And Sam says to him, rolls down the window and says, well, uh, I went to Legoland and got a driver's license there. <laughs> Sharp kid. That's my boy. Uh, we had a lot of fun yesterday. Uh, really, really good time, though. Really appreciate all you guys coming out. Thank you so much. Can we thank all our volunteers for serving? Thank you. You can mark your calendars, uh, August 12th is our kickoff, August 11th uh, will be another Family Serve Day if you'd like to do that. Um, we'd love to connect you, uh, Pastor Craig, in the back over here, new here, start here, connection corner, after service if you want to sign up, we'd love to have you guys sign up. It's just what we got to do uh, with a church of our size and uh, being a young new church, it's really important that we all kind of work together. Thank you so much for that though. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about God revealing himself, and yet many people resist. I want to encourage you to first beware of the question when it comes to um, the issue of how God created the world. When you're in the public university, if you were in college, if you're in college, or maybe you're going back for your master's or whatever, the question about evolution theory will get you in trouble sometimes if you advocate anything else besides evolution. Uh, many of you have heard the story before, but when I was in my freshman year in college, I was on the public university, Univers University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I was in a psychology class. Teacher walks out and starts handing out the facts of evolution. I'm a brand new Christian. I'm really excited about Jesus, and I have a Christian worldview. And what he was passing out did not make sense to me from a Christian worldview, but it also violated what I thought even the scientific textbooks taught about evolution as a theory. And so I waited for the class to go by for a while. I didn't know how to, you know, as a brand new Christian, sometimes you don't know what things you should 
get into and how you should handle yourself and communicate yourself and you're passionate and you have a conviction. So I was getting a little amped up and the class went by, about a 50-minute class or whatever, and the psychology professor was just going on and on and he started making jokes about Christians and I'm feeling really insecure. Am I going to stand up? I think the Holy Spirit was working on my heart, like, Ryan, you should stand up. There's a lot of kids here in the room, about 100 students in the room, and they're almost like hook, line, and sinker believing this stuff. Evolution is a fact. And so I get up the courage to raise my hand a couple minutes into the class because I wanted to give the professor a chance to try to at least give the clarification. This is not a fact. It is more a theory. So he doesn't do that. So I raise my hand and I raise my hand and I start waving my hand trying to get the professor's attention. Hopefully he'll call on me. Sure enough, he calls on me and says, what are you, yeah, you in the back. And I said, sir, is there any reason why you did not at some point in the lecture just communicate that evolution is not indeed a fact, it's more a theory. And I got some kind of applause from the students that were probably on the fence of their Christian faith and trying to understand and reconcile this professor whom we're supposed to trust. And then there was a, just a tension in the room. And then we went back and forth in a little bit of dialogue and the bell interrupted us and I could not finish the conversation, and all those students walked out, and I just felt agonized as to like, Lord, this is not right. You can't teach like that and just even call it a fact. How does this guy even hold a position here? This isn't even correct secular education. And so I go to him, and I meet him, and I'm talking to him, and I was scared, and I can tell he's amped up. He's angry, and uh, he didn't have, he wasn't, you know, the easiest guy to approach. He seemed angry, and when I approached him, I could see in his on his neck like this vessel just pulsating a little bit. So I don't know if you get, when you get angry, you have like a twitch on the eye or, or something that happens with your body, but I could read into this guy's body language. He was upset. And he said, what are you, a Christian? And he starts into me, and all of a sudden, he was just going off and just trying to destroy my faith is what it felt like. And I was getting really nervous, and when I get really nervous, sometimes I just have to back away. It's either fight or flight. So as a born-again Christian, I kind of learned how to back away a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sorry, my ADD kicked in. And all I could do is I zoned out, and he's going off on me. All the students are walking by. And all I can do is think about his breath. His breath stinks so bad. And then I start, because I learned in evangelism, when we were doing evangelism, you say, you never share the word of life with the breath of death. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, this guy needs a Tic Tac. That's all I can think. And then he asked me, so what do you think? And I'm all I'm thinking is tic-tac, man, tic-tac. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. And then I run out. I feel like a little, I feel like I just got beat up in the secular university. And I walked home and I started reading the uh, Bible uh, more intel intelligently because I was the guy who became a Christian almost like the blind leap of faith. Some of you are like that. You just, you jumped into Christianity because it felt good. I, we have people all the time come to this church. They say, I say, how'd you get here? Well, we just Googled you. Did you read the doctrinal statement? No, not at all. I walked in. Why are you still here? Well, it just felt great. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. Glad you're in a safe church. Some of us make that step into the Christian faith where we think we have to check our brains at the door. I would argue with you this kind of phrase is that the heart should not rejoice in that which the mind rejects. We have a very intelligent faith. Um, it's interesting to me what I learned over time, even in, in evangelicalism and conservative 
Christianity schools, Bible colleges, universities, they're taking the Genesis account of Genesis 1 through 3 and calling that Hebrew poetry not an actual historical account of creation. That's happening in our universities. On a secular level in our universities, what's going on is professors are losing their job if they talk about anything other than the evolutionary theory. So I would advocate this kind of idea. There is an intelligent alternative that you can have conversations. Intelligent design is a great argument for you as a Christian at least to approach an atheistic or agnostic scientific mind. Intelligent design says this. You can write this down on your program. It's the scientific hypothesis that the natural order contains a type of complexity that requires an intelligent designer, a cause. So for those of you that are into programming, computers, you know that uh, programs come from programmers. Inventions come from inventions. Artwork comes from artists. Music comes from musicians. We shall advocate today that creation comes from an almighty creator. So if, if you understand that the university, which I think is very interesting right now, is systematically shutting down the conversation for professors to talk about this idea of intelligent design. We live in the first country in the world that constitution guarantees free speech, and yet it's being eliminated in college and universities around our country. I want to show you a documentary about uh, Ben Stein, funny guy, but very, very intelligent guy, goes on kind of a quest to see all the top universities in our country to discuss this issue of intelligent design and how secular universities are expelling and firing professors for even having the conversation. Check this out. Moving through history in an unguided and undesigned way, the theory of evolution. Excuse me. Yes, Ben. How did life begin in the first place? Mr. Stein. You have the same question every time. Well, you never answer it, sir. It develops, it dis, we are, dis, you, you know, we've been through this so many times, you have Could me so- Could there have been an intelligent designer? So what are you here for? I made a movie. Join Ben Stein in this year's most controversial documentary film. If they value their careers, they should keep quiet about their intelligent design views. I was viewed as an intellectual terrorist. I have never been treated like this in my 30 years in academia. I lost my job. It's a funny thing that questions that aren't properly answered don't go away. How did we get from an inorganic world to the world of the cell. It might have started off on the backs of crystals. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 no has anybody. Nor has anyone else. So intelligent designers believe that God is the designer. God is about as unlikely as fairies, angels, uh, hobgoblins, etc. Science makes no use of the hypothesis of God. I mean, it's essentially official policy of the National Academy of Science that religion and science will not be related. There are people out there who want to keep science in a little box where it can't possibly touch a higher power, cannot possibly touch God. Must be some movie. Expelled. No intelligence allowed, only in theaters. Opens nationwide this Friday, April 18th. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.
It's awesome. Isn't that funny? We're going to be showing that movie actually today at 12 o'clock. Our student ministries are going to be watching that here. So if you just want to join, anybody can just join uh, the high school ministries, opened it up to host for anybody that wants to stick around and watch that. You can also check it out on Amazon. I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't already done so. Um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to take you to the Psalm, Psalms chapter 19. And I want to show you three ways that God reveals himself uh, throughout history, how he has worked. And the psalmist David does this. Um, we live in an information age where you get information on your cell phone, television, email, radio, websites, blogs, books, magazines, newspapers, movies. You get information everywhere. And yet, we wanna, we're people that we want to be known and we want to be in the know. And yet, when it comes to knowing about God, we, there's big questions how does God speak? Does he speak internally through my spirit? Does he speak externally through some holy man or guru or prophet? Does God speak through ancient wisdom or tradition? How does he speak to us? And how can we know what God has to say about our world and the life that we live? I'd like to advocate to you that God's word in Psalms 19 gives us the answers. Let's look there. Psalms chapter 19 First thing we're going to see is that God reveals himself from the skies. The psalmist is a, a poet, and he creatively communicates how God is revealing himself through creation. Psalms 1 through 6 is what I call general revelation. It is a theological phrase that helps us to understand that there's something that we can generally know about God through creation. General revelation, the definition is this, is that God reveals something about the divine nature through the created order. In other words, that everything you see in creation, in the world around you, the trees, the plants, the birds, the Grand Canyon, Sedona, the Red Rocks, there's something being revealed in the physical realm that tells us something about the spiritual realm. And you get this wrong and you can turn into, you can see these people that love the nature, love it so much that they worship it, those are called pantheists, the people that believe in the God's in the trees, God's in the rocks. We're going to clarify how God truly reveals himself, and there's something generally that we can understand. Let's look how God reveals himself in Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. Read in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the app on version, or you can pick up a Bible in the back corner over there, an ESV Bible we have for you. Psalms 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. In the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Verse 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. We can learn something about God simply by looking to the sky, looking to the stars. Just that God is powerful, almighty. He holds all things together. The world that we live in reveals something about a creator. This is actually how I became a Christian. I had learned about Jesus when I was a kid, went to church, did those kind of things, but I've started to get overwhelmed at the reality I could not explain the world around me, the beauty of the stars, the beauty of the mountains. I was in Colorado in 1997, and I spent a night out just underneath the stars, and I remember having this conversation with God. God, this is a big world. I feel so small in light of how powerful, how majestic you are through all the creation. I was watching shooting stars just shoot through. 
Phoenix, you can't see that a whole lot because we've got the light pollution and the smog and all that. You get out a little further, you can see the stars. I want to read to you a little bit about stars. Stars, the closest star that we have is 4.2 light years away. And you say, well, what's 4.2 light years? Well, let me tell you what a light year is. One light year is 5.88 trillion miles is what that is. And so that means that the closest star, when you walk outside and you do see a star in Phoenix, you're like, whoa, I see a star. Let me tell you how many miles away that thing is. It is 24.9 trillion miles away. It is so far away that you are looking at light that is four years old, and it travels at the speed of light. The light that you see on a star, that's four years old. And what God says is that he holds all things together. What the psalmist says is that the heavens declare the glory of God day by day and night by night reveals knowledge. We can know something about God just by looking at creation. If you were to get an Apollo 11 a rocket ship and shoot to a star and go, well, I'm going to travel to the stars and get there, here's how long it would take you in Apollo 11. 43,000 years. The stars that you see, the sky that you see, the creation, it reveals something about God. Verse 3, let's look what it says. It says, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. The sun seems to have this centerpiece in David's uh, framework and his thinking. David is a naturalist, and he enjoys the creation, and he's marveling at it, and he highlights the sun. He says, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving its chambers, and like a strong man that runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. When we see the sun, when we look at the sun itself, we can understand that this sun is a 93 million miles away. The word sun, another name for it is soul. Sol was worshipped by the Romans. It was a Greek god. Oftentimes what happens in cultures around the world with people is revelation of the general uh, world that we live in is so powerful, so enamoring that they'll worship it. You go to Sedona. It's a beautiful place. How many people do you know that are up there they are rubbing crystals, standing in a vortex, I had uh, one time uh, met, went up there to, and met with that, um, you think, what in the world are you doing, Pastor Ryan? I went to that New Age Center, that, that purple building right there. Went to that purple building, prayed it up. I was trying to dialogue with them. And literally, I'm on this little journey talking to this lady about what she believes. And she's telling me God is in everything. God's in the sun. God's in the rocks. God's, God's in the little creatures, the little bugs that cross the ground. He's in everything. It is not a Christian worldview at all. Something can be known about God and without proper understanding and understanding who God is, without God's word, we can get lost and tempted to adore creation itself. What the psalmist says, though, is the sun is this powerful feature of all the world that we live in. You could fit one million earths inside of the sun the sun moves half a million miles per hour. I don't know if you knew that or not. 
the sun actually moves, and the psalmist describes that. It comes out like a bridegroom. And the sun actually moves about half a million miles per hour, about 230 million years it takes to complete its orbit around the Milky Way. The sun has a course that it runs, and the psalmist is acknowledging that there's this power in creation. But he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't at all leave us there. He goes further and helps us clarify exactly uh, what it is that we can learn. But before we get there, I want to clarify some things that God reveals through general revelation. First is, is that he exists. You want to, might, might want to write that down. When you look at the creation of the world around you and the things that you see, it indicates that we have something, someone, somehow created the world we live in. I said it earlier, uh, programs come from a programmer, music comes from a musician, art comes from an artist, creation comes from a creator. It indicates that we, he exists, uh, Psalms 1 said, the skies above proclaim. There is proclamation about something about God just in the, the world that we live in, in Acts, the Apostle Paul says, he did not leave himself without witness. He gave rains and seasons, satisfying the heart and food from the ground. When you see that stuff, an explanation to it is that there is a creator. I mean, everything is divinely held together. Did you know that the earth is on a tilt, 23.5 degree tilt? And if the earth was to tilt any degree, we would not have a, a planet that you could live on. God holds all these things together. Secondly, is that general revelation tells us that we are without excuse. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, I'll read it to you. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in these things that have been made so they are without excuse. What he's saying is that the world that we live in tells us that we are without excuse, that there is a God. And, second, and thirdly, we can see that he is good. When you look at the creation of the world around you, you realize that he makes the sun rise on, on the just and the unjust. He brings rain. That's called God's common grace. He's, he's a good God. He provides all sorts of things for all people. And Colossians 1.17 says that, uh, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Secondly, we can see that God himself uh, reveals himself from the scriptures. So what can be known of God at a general level is from the, the, the skies above, is what the psalmist says, but now we're going to learn about the scriptures. This is called... In verses 7 through 11, we're going to see, it's called special revelation. What is special revelation? It's God's words addressed to specific people, including words of Scripture. So what we're going to see is that, what is Scripture? Well, the Scripture is composed by, it is God's words, uh, God speaking His truth to us in human words. There's, in the Bible, there is... Uh, Authors that are kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, doctors, scholars. The Bible is history. The Bible is packed with sermons, letters, love letters. It's written in three different languages originally, Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic. It's written on three, from three different continents, Africa, 
Asia, and Europe. And it's been composed, it's composed, the New Testament has uh, 27 books. And this is where we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John helping describe the life of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And the Bible teaches us that how we can live a life as a Christian and how churches should live. And in light of what Jesus has done, we have the Scriptures. And thus the Bible is a library of books that are one book showing one divine unity and continuity from the beginning to the end. That there is this, this figure, God himself, and Jesus is at the center of that from the beginning to the end. So let's look what the psalmist says in, in verse uh, 7. He says this, listen to how he describes the scriptures. Listen to the words that he's characterizing the scriptures and reflecting on the character of God. He says, the law of the Lord, in verse 7, is what? Perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired they, they, they than gold, even fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings and honeycomb. Verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, and there is great reward. The psalmist is telling us that this is good for us that God gives a reveals specifics about how we're to live, what we're to do, and it's incredibly important. We see God reveals himself through special revelation in a few different ways. First and foremost, about the good news of Jesus. You might want to write that down. We can't have salvation unless we understand who our Redeemer is. So general revelation is not enough. We need special revelation. And the scripture reveals to us who God is, what he's like, and it is the final authority on all matters of revelation. Some of you say, well, what about the Holy Spirit revealing himself to me and giving me kind of some intuition? Yeah, that's great, good. But the scripture is the supreme authoritative voice on all matters. In the Protestant Reformation, you have Martin Luther, who's fighting for good news. He's a good news warrior in, a, in church history. And he's advocating this idea that the scripture has the highest authority, higher authority than a pope, higher authority than any priest, higher authority than any king, higher authority than everything. The mantra was sola scriptura. And people mistakenly think that it means solo scriptura, not scripture only, because God reveals himself in creation. But the sola scriptura means that it's, the scripture has the final authority, the full authority, that nothing judges scripture, it judges everything else. And the psalmist David affirms that. He says those things. It's pure, it's right, it's true. God reveals himself through special revelation about the good news. Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome, a very intellectual group of people. Um, and by the way, as far as when the Apostle Paul is dialoguing and in, in helping plant churches, let me just encourage you to understand that Christianity took a massive rapid growth in the first century, not because the Christians outlived anybody or outloved anybody or outdied anybody. 
they thrived because they outfought everybody. They went to the pagan philosophers and argued with them to help them understand that son that you, you worship, there's a greater son. His name is Jesus. God reveals through special revelation about the good news. God also reveals through special revelation, listen to me, about maintaining a spiritual life. God's word helps you in life. God has specifically revealed himself through the scriptures so that you can experience life and life to the fullest. You can't just run around in the jungle with no Bible and think that you've got everything figured out. What you need is you need God's word. Jesus said it like this, man shall not live on bread alone, but every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. How do you live? You live by the scriptures. At North Valley, some of you, I would call you the intellectuals. You are the people that love information and knowledge and all that stuff. Great. Here's what you need to do. You need to exercise your style of how you commune with God by studying God's word far beyond what happens on Sunday morning. You should be reading books. You should be learning, watching documentaries. You should be getting Bible commentaries. You should maybe even think about going into some further education, doing some online classes. Engage the brain. For some of you, I talked earlier about the idea of creation and you really connect and commune with God. Maybe like the psalmist David, he's a bit of a naturalist and he's talking about, oh, the heavens declare the glory of God. And he's talking about the beauty of creation. Maybe if you're like that, you should go on a long walk and enjoy the creation more. My goal is in preaching this message is not that just you'll learn some information, but you'll begin to be transformed more and more and to worship him more and more. About maintaining the spiritual life, that's why God gives us spiritual, uh, special revelation, but it's also about knowing God's will. You can't know what to do unless you know what God says. You need to know what he says beyond, uh, well, I just felt like that. Here's a phrase I want you to remember. The heart cannot rejoice in that which the mind rejects. The heart cannot rejoice in that which the mind rejects. You have an intelligent faith. You have God's word. It's the totality. It's the final authority. It's God-breathed. When you see the scripture, it's holy words for your life to live by, to guide you. In Deuteronomy, it says this, is that the things that are revealed belong to us as people, our children forever as well, that we may do all the words as written in his law. We need God's word to know what God's will is. Now, the Bible won't tell you necessarily who you're to marry, but it'll tell you the kind of person you need to marry. The Bible won't tell you which project you should take on, but it'll teach you the principles and the things to make decisions on. We need God's special revelation to know God's will. Thirdly, I'd encourage you to think about this, is that God reveals himself to the soul. David is a bit of a mystic, as well as a naturalist, as well as an intellectual. He's a bit of a mystic. He's very experiential. He's very creative in how he communicates God and how God reveals himself. Listen to what he says at a soul level, what he experiences. He's reflecting. He's a contemplative in his verses 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors, David says? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. 
King David had all sorts of faults. He said, how can, how, who can do this? Only the Creator could do that. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Verse 14, listen to this contemplative, reflective statement. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is experientially at a heart level connects with the Lord. You and I have an intelligent faith. We have a faith that can not only be experienced at a heart level, but we have a faith that's intelligent that can be engaged by the mind. David here shows us that his love for the Lord, he says that the things that I say, that the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, and he makes it personal, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Maybe you're that Christian, man or woman or youth, that you're experience to the Christian life is this. It's all at a soul level. It's experiential. It's subjective. My encouragement to you is to journal, to write, to reflect, to think. But then don't forsake understanding the real true basics of the importance of God's Word, the authority of Scripture. And for all of us, we live in a great city. We live in a, a great valley where we can enjoy creation and see that as a way that God communes with us and wants to connect with us. So what's the purpose in God revealing himself at a soul level is this, is that he is present, he is powerful, and he is personal. God wants to connect with you at a soul level, and he wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know that he's present with you. The psalmist David would say things like, no matter where I go, you're there with me, Lord. If I go to the highest heights or the lowest lows, you're there. You're with me. He understood the Holy Spirit. You need to know that God at a soul level is powerful. He's bigger than all your problems. At a soul level, He knows exactly everything that you go through. All your hardships, all your setbacks, all your inconsistencies. And He has the power to change things. And you can call out on him and ask for that power. Lord, I need your power. He's also personal. The Bible says that he knows every hair that's on your head. He knows everything about you. And he loves you more wildly and more covenantly than any other person. Here's the take-home truth. God revealed himself. Why? So that you and I might know and worship him. That's why he did it. God reveals himself not just to prove a point. He does it for worship. He loves his creation, and you are at the top of that creation. He loves you with an unconditional love, and he wants you to worship and to know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the final authority in Scripture. Thank you for that you meet us at a soul level, and that you are powerful, and you're present, and you're personal. And Lord, and for, for those here today, Lord, that may have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord, may it be today would be the day where they say, I surrender everything to you, Lord. I need to come home. I need to turn from my sin and turn towards you, Jesus Christ, my Savior. Lord, I thank you for everybody here today. 
Lord, I pray that in this summer in the Psalms as we look, that our minds might be engaged more, our hearts might be more receptive, Lord, and that we would begin to see more and more how great you are, how good you are, how powerful you are, and choose to worship you. You've gone to great lengths to reveal yourself. And Lord, help us to grow in that relationship with you as we continue to see how you have revealed yourself through creation and the totality of Scripture and all of it, everything we need in the Scriptures, and then yet you choose to meet us on a personal level to the soul. We love you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.